Good morning, Grace. Please open your Bibles to chapter 4 as Kenny requested. This is an amazing passage that I pray will feed us deeply into our souls this morning. It's been such a blessing for me to have the privilege of diving into for a while now, and I hope it will be so helpful to you in your life. And I think it will be if you ask the Lord to enable that to happen, because it is rich with reasons for living. I mean, what, what do you live for? If someone were to ask you, what do you live for? What would you say? What's the overriding, driving, passion, goal, motivation, objective of your life? What are you living for? That's a really important question to ask yourself because everything else will line up with what you're living for. I absolutely love what I get to do in my life vocationally. There's only one profession, though, that at times I wonder if I would have been better at that than I am at what I do, and I should have done that. And, and I, I find myself wondering, and in some ways longing, and that's a football coach. I coached football for many years, and one of the great things about football is you have a weekly assessment of how you're doing with your goals. <laughs> and it ends with a score. It ends with a result. That's one of the reasons I think the sports page is read more than any other page in the whole newspaper, because it's got final results. Unlike every other section of the news, where we never seem to fully resolve anything, we on the sports page have results. Even if it's not the result you wanted and we're cheering for, at least it's a result. <laughs> at least it's something that is in print finish, done, we have an assessment. Even if you disagree with it because of some reason that's in the books and that's the result. And that's a comforting thing. I just uh, was reading about a football coach who's very successful this year at Coastal Carolina. And one of the reasons for success is because they set weekly goals oriented around one thing. Last week it was respect. The week before that it was submission. The week before that it was love. And it focuses the players and the coaches in a way where there's no doubt what they're after that week based on who they're playing, what their strengths are, what their weaknesses are. They set goals. And I was thinking, oh, we need to be more that way as the church. We need to be more focused on our goals in explicit, clear ways based on our enemy, the powers of darkness and our own sin and our goals, which is the glory of God, the exaltation of Christ and the good of others as the gospel advances through our ministry. Our goals are our mission and vision here at Grace, to present everyone mature in Christ, to depend on the resources God's given us for that. And the book of Proverbs is forcing us to ask ourselves the question, what am I living for? What are you living for? What's the focus of your life? And is it clear and explicit that that's the focus in the way you live your life, in the way you think through all the decisions we have to make every day? What are you living for? Not just big picture, but in the details. What are you living for based on the way you spend your money? What are you living for based on the way you invest your time? Think about your recreation and your entertainment. What are you living for based on your daily schedule, your yearly aspirations? What are you living for? 
Because if you're not careful, you will end up living for very shallow, worldly, cultural values rather than God and his ways. And he's your creator. He and his ways, that's what he created you for. And so it's so important that we together get our eyes on the prize. My favorite documentary is called The Eyes on the Prize. It's about the civil rights movement. And it it talks about the focus that movement had. And that was the, the focus of a Christian view of humans that was driving that. And we need to have a eyes on the prize mentality about our lives every day. We need to have our eyes on the prize of life in Christ, abundant and eternal, and offering that to others in our lives. That's got to drive us when we vote in the election this Tuesday. I hope that's what's driving you. Not just a a simple evangelistic purpose, but a purpose that leads to life. What is your investment of your life leading to? I hope it's life. Because the Bible has a stark distinction between a life lived toward life and a life lived toward death. It's really an either-or proposition. That doesn't mean figuring out what that means in the ways we vote, spend our money, spend our time, invest our resources, all these other things. It doesn't mean there isn't a complexity to that and there isn't a, a, a debate to be had on things that aren't as clear as other things. But if we are focused on what matters most, then those things start to become more clear to us. God's ways in the complex details only become clear to us in the daily when we are living for the eternal. When we're living for what really matters most and lasts forever, that's when the daily complexities and details start to come into clarity and we can walk in a daily wisdom. Only when we're focused on the ultimate goals of our lives. What are you really living for? Really. Not what you would say to someone in answer to that question who is a Christian. Not not what you would answer me right now because you know it's the right answer. But what are you really living for? Are you living for fulfillment in even the gifts of God independent of God? Are you living for marriage and the joy that may bring? May bring. Are you living for children? Are you living for career? Are you living for accomplishment and success? Are you living for prestige? Are you living for being liked? What are you living for, really? Well, the book of Proverbs has been helping us get our eyes on the prize, get focused on what really matters most. And Proverbs chapter 4 is a powerful, focusing, orienting, goal-setting daily walking toward that goal, encouraging proverb for us this morning. So I pray you are here to hear from God, from his word, and that we will all leave here today with our eyes more fixed on the prize and then lives that actually add up to that goal in explicit and obvious and intentional ways. Where we're not only kept from evil, we're kept from emptiness We're kept from things that aren't the best, things that don't matter in the grand scheme of things. If we follow the ways of the world, we will live for shallow values and temporal, temporary accomplishments. 
Life is too short on this cursed planet to live for what only lasts for a day or a year or 78 years or for whatever you get on this planet. We've got to live for what lasts forever. And so Proverbs 4 helps us with this. And what we're going to see here is it helps us develop the right desires. It helps us develop the right discipline and it helps us develop the right delight. So we're looking for desire, uh, discipline, and delight here. And we find the desires we're to be living for in verses 1 through 9. Here it is, Proverbs 1, 4, 1. Hear, O sons. This is interesting. We move from a father talking to a son to sons in plural now. Broadening it to, to sons, we can include ourselves into this. If you're one of the children of God, hearing from God ultimately because this father is speaking on behalf of God. In the biblical context, this is not just practical advice. This is all about God and his ways. And that's what this earthly father's representing. Our heavenly father and his values, his ways, his priorities. Hear, O sons. Hear, Listen. Pay attention. Don't let this pass you by. Hear, O sons, a father's instruction. And be attentive that you may gain insight. I believe we're the most distracted generation that's ever lived. We are a generation that are constantly pulled away from the things that matter most by the latest Instagram, text message, email, whatever it is, we're constantly challenged to stay focused. And here we have two words. Hear, listen, pay attention, and be attentive. That means wisdom doesn't come just sitting in a recliner with the remote in your hand. It comes by reaching. It comes by stretching beyond what is easily accessible. We need to pay attention. Why? That we may gain insight. For I give you good precepts. As we read through this proverb, I want you to learn, listen to all of the wonderful, attractive results of wisdom. It's good, right? There's a wholeness, a soundness to it. I give you precepts. Do not forsake my teaching. When I was a son with my father, tender and only in the sight of my mother, he taught me and said to me, let your heart hold fast to my words. Not just your external actions, but the core of your being. Let your heart hold fast to my words. Keep my commandments and live. Get wisdom, get insight. Do not forget and do not turn away from the words of my mouth. Do not forsake her wisdom and she will keep you love her and she will guard you the beginning of wisdom is this get wisdom in other words get serious about it make it this overriding priority and whatever you get get insight get after it prize her highly don't just get it but make it a treasure you're after at the core of your being Prize her highly and she will exalt you. She will honor you if you embrace her. She will 
place on your head a graceful garland and she will bestow on you a beautiful crown. Do you hear the desire we are called to have this morning? by God. Desire is a wonderful God-given thing. It gets distorted and perverted. The rightness of it gets suppressed in unrighteousness, but desires are a good God-given thing. One of the greatest lies Satan has ever cooked up is the lie in many world religions, especially in the East, that desire is a bad thing, that the absence of desire is the ultimate goal. That is a lie. That is not true. God gives us desires in the depth of our being and those desires are only ultimately fulfilled in him. And so if you deny your desires, you will deny the motivation to find him. Don't deny desire. Just seek to have it fulfilled in the only one who will fulfill your desires. Deepen those desires. Make them what drives you and motivates you. And the desire is for wisdom, for insight. And so we pursue wisdom. With all our hearts, we pursue knowledge of and intimacy with God. Because in the context of the Bible, in the context of Proverbs, we keep seeing over and over again that wisdom is fundamentally something that begins and continues with a fear of the Lord with an understanding of who God is. And as we saw in Proverbs 3, when I preached a couple of weeks ago, this this desire for wisdom is connected to knowing God, fearing God, and that means we also understand his steadfast love for us. We don't ever lose sight of his love for us and we rest confidently in who he is and what he is for us and toward us, seeking our good from a heart of love for us every day. And I want you to notice what adds up to this knowledge of God. Did you, did you see it all in verses 1 through 9? Pursue knowledge of God, how? Through his instructions, his precepts, his teaching, his insight, his words, his way, his commandments. This isn't just some overly spiritualized, vague, sentimental feeling we're after here. This is expressed in actual, real, practical, concrete, daily ways of living. We can over-spiritualize spirituality and disconnect it from obeying God and his word and his ways. We've got to be people of the word and the ways of God. Jesus, after all, said, if you love me, you'll have vague, abstract feelings about me. No, that's actually not what he said. He said, if you love me, you'll obey me. You'll do what I said, and you can't do what he says if you don't know what he says. So we've got to be people of the word. Love and knowledge are often disconnected in our thinking. Content of God's word is often disconnected from what we think love for him is, which is a vague expression of passionate worship, but not grounded in the truth of his word. And we've got to be people of the word. We've got to be people who seek God's ways and word and wisdom and commandments by being people of the book. And we find wisdom and we do have an affective, experiential, subjective desire for this and understanding of this that leads to passionate worship to be sure. But it's grounded in knowing God. And so we earnestly pursue him with wisdom. It's amazing the imagery here. We don't just go after it as intellectual knowledge. We go after it the way a lover goes after the beloved. 
There's marriage intimacy language in this passage for our relationship to Lady Wisdom. This idea of when you embrace her is not some cold intellectual thing. There's sexual imagery here in the marriage context that we're to pursue in our relationship with wisdom. And she will not disappoint you. She will provide for you the joy you're after. And so it means we know God and we fear God and we rest in his love. And this is something else we need to realize. I love that we even move not just to the father here, but collective children, sons, but also we're now getting grandma and grandpa in here. Did you hear it? The father's talking about hearing these things from his father with his mother present. It's amazing. The father continues to give knowledge, but he's saying, and I just got this from my my dad, from your grandfather and your grandmother. See, this has been passed down. And this has been mentioned several of the weeks here, but I am, this may be the thing that's impressing me most that he didn't see clearly enough when I've read and studied Proverbs in the past. It's yes, we go to God for his wisdom, but we depend on God's people in the process he's designed. It's not you and God on a mountaintop experiencing God. It's fundamentally you with God's people experiencing God, depending on God's people in meaningful invested relationships not by attending a service like it's just an entertainment event, but by devoting yourself to relationship with the people you're in the service with. He's got the grandparents involved here. And I want you to realize that you didn't make up the Christian faith. You didn't make up the Christian worldview. You didn't make up the Christian life. God did. And he handed it to apostles and prophets who've been handing it off ever since. And we are now entrusted with the good deposit entrusted to us. It's been handed off to you. You didn't make it up. It's not your job to fix it or improve it. It's been given to you. It's a good deposit entrusted to your care by those who've come before, some of whom died for what they've handed off. They spilled blood and persecution and martyrdom for what they've handed off that we now hold in our hands. Wisdom is found from God, but through his people. It's just so humbling for me to know I stand here today not because Eric Tonis figured this out on my own, but God gave it to faithful saints for millennia. And then to Osgood and Minnie Smith, my great-grandparents, and to Eddie and Lee Tonis, and Adam and Anna Petz, who handed it off to their kids, who handed it off to me. I didn't come up with this. You didn't either. And, and there's something that goes against this in us. We want to have figured it out all ourselves. We want to get some pride out of being smart and having figured out the ways of God. That's not how it goes down. We're utterly dependent on God and the transmission of this good deposit through his people. That's why we need each other. Your presence here this morning, I'm assuming, is a fundamental acknowledgement out of humility, that you're not okay to just stay home by yourself. If you're watching online this morning and continuing to be present with us, it's because you're saying, I'm not okay by myself. I need the people of God. Like Paul said to Timothy, he says, I follow the ways of my forefathers and therefore I follow in a clear conscience. 
Paul realized he was part of something bigger than himself. And he says to Timothy, his son in the faith, I'm mindful of the sincere faith within you, which first dwelt in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and I'm sure is in you as well in 2 Timothy. He's saying, Timothy, be faithful, fan in the flame the gift that's been given to you. And what I want you to do as you do that is realize that this has been given to you by God through godly, faithful saints like your mother and grandmother. His father was probably a, a, a non-Christian uh, Greek. And so his mother and grandfather handed this off to him. And he says, stay true to it. The writer of the Hebrews says, remember your leaders, those who spoke the word of God to you, living and dead. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Have leaders you look to. Have people who are looking to you as an example of whose faith they are able to imitate. A sincere faith is one that's really there in mind and heart. And that's why Paul later says to Timothy in 3.14, continue in the things you've learned and become convinced of, knowing from whom you've learned them. And that from childhood, you've known the sacred writings which are able to give you the wisdom that leads to salvation through faith which is in Jesus Christ. He says, Timothy, you were raised immersed in the scriptures. You were given a good deposit by faithful mother and grandmother. Walk in it. Walk in it, not because they'll be disappointed in you, but because they were godly women who handed it off to you. And they knew what they were talking about because they didn't make it up either. They got it from God through God's people. I'm so thankful for the way God made us, relational like him, needing each other in this way. Oh, we need to make our faith our own. And we can't go through the motions living out your mama's faith. You need to make it your own, but you need to make it your own aware that it's not something you invented. And you're dependent on the people of God to really get it. You know, I went to college, accepted on academic probation. My first day as a freshman, I was on academic probation. That's how poorly I'd done in high school. That's not very encouraging to an incoming freshman. They should have just put me on probation, not tell me that was the case. It was quite discouraging. But I dove into it. In my freshman year, I took a senior level class called New Testament as Literature with a professor who was brilliant, but the New Testament was a new interest of his. I'd been reading it my whole life. My mother read it to me on her lap, the Bible and pictures for little eyes that we actually give to kids here. And I knew the Bible better than my prof, even though I had been a horrible student. So I seemed brilliant, even though I wasn't. I seemed highly educated, even though I wasn't. God had prepared me to have an insight and wisdom and a knowledge that even highly educated people lacked. And I knew his word. We are people of the word. And so that means we need to desire wisdom more than anything else, which means desiring God more than anything else. And once we're there, once we're on that path, don't assume you're going to stay there. And that's the next thing. We need discipline to stay on the path. Look at verse 10. Hear my son and accept my words that the years of your life may be many. I've taught you the way of wisdom. I've led you in the path of uprightness. When you walk, your step will not be hampered. And if you run, you will not stumble. Keep hold of the instruction. Do not let go. Guard her, for she is your life. Do not enter the path of the wicked and do not walk in the way of evil. Avoid it. Do not go on it. Turn away from it and pass on, for they cannot sleep unless they've done wrong, the evil ones, 
those committed to evil. They're robbed of sleep unless they have made someone stumble. For they eat bread of the uh, wickedness and drink the wine of violence, but the path of the righteous is like the light of dawn, which shines brighter and brighter until full day. The way of the wicked is like deep darkness. They do not know over what they stumble. There are two ways, friends, two ways, the way of the righteous and the way of the wicked. This isn't confusing, and it gets right based on the desires we just talked about, but don't assume you'll stay on the path. Stay on the wise path by guarding your heart. That's why verse 23 says, keep your heart with all vigilance. Guard your heart with all vigilance. Don't assume your default mode will be to stay on the path of righteousness. I have seen in my life so many examples of godly men and women who have left the path of righteousness because they were not vigilant in guarding their hearts. We need to guard our hearts with all vigilance. We need to take these God-given desires that have been fulfilled in him and maintain them as the focus of our lives. You need to keep your heart with all vigilance as if your life depended on it because it does depend on it. Keep your heart. Realize that life flows from the inside out. So God transforms our hearts and he gives us hearts that desire righteousness and desire him. And then we need to keep those hearts heading in that direction. That's why Paul says to Timothy again, guard the good deposit entrusted to you. Avoid irreverent babble and contradictions of what is falsely called knowledge. That's a good summary of most social media. The deposit is like a large sum of money entrusted to you from a friend to go on a journey. Trusting that you'll keep it and you'll guard it. Guard the treasure that's been entrusted to you. And the goal of our instruction, we're told again by Paul in 1 Timothy, is love from a pure heart, from a good conscience, and from a sincere faith. And please realize love and wisdom and living for God is a daily step-by-step journey. There are times we grow in leaps and bounds. We call that revival, which is what we're praying for here at Grace. But even revival, if you study it, isn't the end of the story. It actually sets the stage in a new level of a daily step-by-step walk. We can't be adrenaline junkies and dopamine fiends. We need to be daily disciples taking up our cross and step-by-step following him. The wicked are committed to daily step-by-step evil. We need to be committed to daily step-by-step intimacy with God and his ways. Because sin easily entangles. Don't think you are free from the entanglement of sin in your life. There are two alternatives that we see in verses 11 and 19. Wisdom and righteousness or evil in verse 14. And the decisions we make on a daily basis will set a pattern of our lives. Now we can, ha- we can ask God to get us out of the pattern we begin with evil decisions, but it happens. I heard a story of a man who when he was a little boy uh, snuck into his father's study, found his treasured inherited pocket watch and played with it for a couple of hours until it broke. And then he slipped it back into the drawer right where he had found it. And when his father found his broken pocket watch, he asked all the kids, does anybody know what happened to my pocket watch? And this young boy said, nope, no idea. And he lived with that the rest of his life. When he was in his 20s, 
He was driving too fast on a road and he hit a kid and killed him. And he drove away and he got caught and he spent the middle part of his adult life in prison. And he'd often think back to the pocket watch. A decision to not own what he needed to and repent of what he needed to and probably receive his father's forgiveness. He set a trajectory in his life that added up to thousands of other compromising decisions. And he would say to people, I'm in prison because of a pocket watch. We've got to realize that every day we have an opportunity to make a decision in the path of righteousness and wisdom or the path of evil and wickedness. And a trajectory of your life will be set. Doesn't mean you're stuck there. Please don't ever think you're stuck. The power stuck. The power of the gospel and the power of the spirit is more than able to get us out of even the deepest ruts we may have gotten ourselves into. But the way of wisdom stays out of the ruts. It listens to your grandmother and your grandfather. You know, there's this way of thinking that old-fashioned is bad. I remember hearing this really cool preacher one time say, the gospel we preach at our church isn't your grandmother's gospel. As if that's a good thing. He said, you know, your grandmother's faith is like that old Edsel. It was fine for a time, but not anymore. There's this idea that the latest and the coolest and the newest and the trendiest and the hippest, that's the way to go. That's, that's going to lead to success. But we're told to walk in the old paths, the old ways, the ways of wisdom that lead us to God. And listen to the last thing, delight. This leads to delight. I hope you don't think it's just discipline and self-denial, although it certainly includes that. But because you desire what is best and you won't, don't want to settle for anything but what is greatest, your greatest delight, which for us is verses 20 through 27 now. My son, be attentive to my words. Incline your ear to my sayings. Listen to all this positive stuff we get. Let them not escape from your sight. Keep them within your heart, for they are life to those who find them and healing to all their flesh. Keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flow the springs of life. Put away from you crooked speech and put devious talk far from you. We're not sure if that's the devious and crooked speech and talk of others or of your own. It's probably both. Let your eyes look directly forward. And that includes in the supermarket checkout line. In, in all areas of your life where you're tempted to idolatry, literally keep your eyes on the ways of God. Keep your ears, keep your thoughts on the ways of God. Guard your thoughts vigilantly. Ponder the path of your feet. Then all your ways will be sure. Do not swerve to the right or to the left. Turn your foot away from evil. Do you hear the delight that awaits when you walk in God's ways? And this for us means we delight in Christ, who is our wisdom. Did you hear, as we read through this proverb, not just in that passage, but the whole thing, listen to the benefits of seeking intimacy with Lady Wisdom and finding God in the process. Goodness, life, Verse four times, 4, 13, 22, and 23. Protection, verse six. Exaltation and honor, verse eight. Beauty, verse nine. Long life, verse 10. Unobstructed progress, verse 12. Light and an ability to see in verse 18. 
confidence in verse 26, and ultimately in all of this great and abiding hope, even in the darkest of times, even in the saddest of times, even in times of shutdowns and viruses and racial conflict and political confusion, there is hope in the midst of all of it. Because as verse 18 says, the path of the righteous is like the light of a new day. We're the ones who walk in the light of the Lord. Sin is foolish and it mocks us every step of the way. But we so often believe it's lies and only Christ can change our hearts, change us from the inside out. Not behavior modification or moral living, but gospel transformation is the only solution to the bondage to sin and the direction toward evil. Even if you're a really nice person and do religious things, if your heart hasn't been transformed by the Holy Spirit and the power of the gospel, you will still, even in your moral external, head away from God and his ways and not toward him. When we see and treasure Christ, who is our wisdom, we'll be changed from the inside out and not just depend on his punishment and death and life in our place, but follow in his steps, who's our example in all things. Did you see what it says in verse 24? Put away from you crooked speech. And put devious talk far from you. Get away from the steps of the evil. And how do we do that? Verse 23, keep your heart with all vigilance for from it flow the springs of life. New life begins from the inside out. You may be a mess on the outside. And this is true of many Christians, myself included so much of the time. My external shows a mess. That's why I don't say the phrase, you may be the only gospel anyone ever sees. I'm not the gospel. I am often great evidence of the need for the gospel. The gospel is something Jesus did for us, the good news of freedom from sin and death and punishment in Christ. And when we have Jesus transforming power and work in our lives, we find a change in our hearts and then out of our hearts doesn't flow death, but the springs of life. I think this verse is what Jesus had in mind when he said, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scriptures has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Jesus is the source of that living water. He's the way of wisdom, the truth from God and the light who gives light on the dark path and he is the source of eternal life that springs from our hearts and he will never quit on you if you seek him as the source of your greatest delight. The Bible tells us that he who began a good work in you will bring it to the day of completion. And not just in you, but all of creation that's groaning now in the pains of childbirth will one day be transformed and be set free from the bondage to decay and corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. That's who we are, people who desire God and his ways above all else and will give up anything like the pearl of great price to find it. 
We're the people who are disciplined along the way, who don't assume it just happens, but we're ultimately people who delight in what is most delightful. God himself, the treasures of Christ that are ours by faith. If this is not your great treasure, I plead with you to turn from your sin. Trust in Jesus, the source of these eternal springs of never-ending water that will flow from your heart and bring you to the greatest desires and the discipline only the Holy Spirit and God can enable. And you will find, I promise you, the deepest delights of your heart satisfied in him. Not in the absence of the sufferings of this present world, but in the midst of them and eternally once and for all freed from. That's why Jesus said, in this world you will have trouble. It shouldn't surprise us when we have trouble. But what does he say then? But take heart. I've overcome the world. Jesus is our greatest treasure. He is our delight. So as disciplined, daily walking disciples, let's intensify our desires for what only matters and will bring our greatest delight. Let's treasure Christ and hope in God. If this is you, if you've never trusted him, please don't leave here today without simply saying to him, Lord, I turn from my sin and myself and I trust you in the finished work of Jesus more than anything else in this whole world. And please pray with folks under the tree later. Pray with me. Come and talk to me. Don't leave until you have talked to someone who you, you know knows Jesus. Email the church office. Let us know that you want to trust Jesus and we'll walk you through that. We'll pray with you. We'll help you think through these things. If you're listening online, please contact us and talk through these things. Don't let this day go by. If God is speaking to you, don't harden your heart. Don't harden your heart. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we're grateful that you made us for yourself and our hearts are restless until we find rest in you. Almighty maker of heaven and earth, we know that you know us best and that you created us to have our great delight satisfied in you and met in you. So Lord, help us to know you. Help us to choose the way of wisdom and pursue it with vigilance, not half-heartedly, not as if we'll get to it later, but help us to be men and women who are focused on what really matters and what only leads to life, and that's Jesus the one who walked this path of wisdom ahead of us, the author and perfecter of our faith and walked it perfectly alone. And Lord, thank you for the great cloud of witnesses, many of whom in my life are sitting right in front of me right, right now that I look to as examples and follow their faith example as they follow in the footsteps of Jesus. And we pray these things in his mighty and matchless and saving name. Amen.